Well, that looks good, huh? Equip and Inspire conferences are always really, really good, and we hope that you will avail yourself. Stuff, some of it's kind of, you know, real inspiring, and and tonight's going to be kind of like that. Sometimes it's kind of a little bit scolding, because these uh, people in Corinth, they were into some kind of weird stuff, you know? They, they go to church and experience miracles, and uh, Paul talks a lot about that. And yet they didn't like each other very much. And they were kind of divided. And, and you know, so he has to kind of do a little bit. But tonight we're, uh, Paul's talking about himself and about this whole business of, of not giving up on what God's trying to do in his life. And I, I, I just thought I would start out tonight by doing something. Um, I, would you stand up? So what's this? That, that's your in-ear monitor. Uh, look at this, you guys. This is a miracle. I, I, all, all of you that have been afraid to sit in the front where the loudspeakers are uh, because you think those speakers are driving you nuts because this worship band is so loud, it's actually not that at all. It's these monitor speakers up here. They're driving you nuts because this guy's half deaf. And so uh, they finally got they got him this. And so you can now sit in the front and, you know, be close to the pastor when he's preaching and all that. We just want you to know about this. But uh, where, did, where were you on Wednesday? Uh, Kaiser Hospital. Kaiser. It's on. Uh, Kaiser Hospital? Yes. Tell, tell us why you were there. I had my both lungs drained from fluids. Both lungs drained from fluids. Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard they were filling up pretty bad. And the rest of your body was filling up with fluids also? Yes. And how many times have you been in the hospital for this kind of stuff? Four. Four. And uh, that was Wednesday. Today is Saturday, and he's standing up here leading worship. This is a man who never gives up. And, uh, and so um, what I heard was that they finally think they figured out what's wrong with you, right? Besides a hard head. They're, they're, they're close. They're not there, but they're, they're getting closer. And, it, and, and they gave you some steroids or something, yes. and, and that, that's helped a lot. But we're going to pray for you right now. Um, Lord, we thank you for Keith and uh, for his dedication and commitment to all of us for all of these years. And, uh, Lord, most of the people in this room never knew uh, that he's been in the hospital because every Saturday night he's here, uh, no matter what the terrors uh, have been during the week. And we pray that uh, the, the doctors do believe they're finally figuring it out. Uh, we pray that, that you will cause them to make the kind of progress that they need to and that you'll restore him to complete and full health and that you just would bless him for honoring you uh, by being here so faithful, never giving up, uh, being, being so willing to, uh, to just really kind of lay his life on the line for the rest of us. And we, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I just want to say thank you. Wait, 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 wait. I just wait, wait, wait. No, okay, now I just you want to say thank you for your thoughtfulness and prayers. It's a blessing. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know who needs this mic when I'm done with it, but I'm putting it right over here. So anyway, we're in in First uh, Corinthians, and and Paul is talking about his own life about. Uh, his own perseverance and his own difficulties that he's gone through. And, and yet, as he talks, there's some lessons for us to to gather in all of this. And, and uh, uh, the downside of this tent is the noise when it rains. But uh, 
they got enough amperage back there, I think they can get my voice above it. Okay, so in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 4, he starts out and he says, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. Since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. And as you first look at those verses, you know, you just kind of could skid over them and, and really not get too involved with it. But uh, you got to stop and realize that Paul was an extremely religious man. He was a, a rule kind of a guy, you know. He was making rules for others. He was living by religious rules that had become bondage to him. And when the, the Christians began to preach the message of Christ, that the Old Testament Messiah that we've all been waiting for has come, and they could point to the prophecies in the Old Testament, uh, Paul just rejected it all out of hand. He wouldn't hear any of it. And as a matter of fact, he not only wouldn't hear it, but he became a persecutor of the early Christians. We're getting a little sort of echoey feedback up here. I, I don't, you might want to... What, what, what do you need? You need me to talk louder so you can cut it down? Huh? You keep going? Okay, they'll dial it in. The hardest job in the church is that job back there. And we have a new sound system, which makes it about 10 times as hard. Uh, if you go back there and look at it, it's a monster. But, uh, you know, the, those poor guys, uh, they have to, you know, every, it's all eyes on them when things don't go well. Don't give up. <laughs> so anyway, Paul was a person who actually, uh, we read in Acts, in the seventh chapter, he presided over the, the, the death of the first Christian martyr. Uh, he gave it a sort of a, a, a semblance of, 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 of polite society is endorsing this as, as this man is stoned to death. And, and he went, went about his business of putting people in prison and, and causing some people to lose his life, their lives. In one place, he actually says, I, uh, I, I'm the chief of all sinners. The way that I live my life is, is the worst of all. And so when he says, since God has given in his mercy, has given us this new way, we never give up. Uh, he's really talking about a new way. I've come out from under the, the, the heavy, heavy burden of religion. Burden on me and a burden I was putting on others. And I, and I, and I, I have a new way. I understand that God loves people and that God's grace is there for people. And, you know, as, as I look today across the world, I, I, you know, I travel a lot. I get to other countries and, and I see religion. And uh, religion is always, they don't use this word, you know, in most religions, but it comes down to karma. You put something good in, you get something good out. You put something bad in, you get something bad out. And it always puts it on you. The whole burden is on you. You got to perform. You got to make stuff happen. And whether you're not, you're going to get to heaven is on you. And the, the thing that stands out about Christianity among all the religions of the world, you know, in Acts chapter 4, it says that there is salvation in none other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And the word saved means rescued. So you don't rescue yourself. Somebody else rescues you. And if you stop and think about it, it was true 2,000 years ago when those words were written down, but it's true today. There is no other Savior. There are lots of concepts of God and there are lots of religions. And those religions will claim to point toward heaven. 
But there is no other rescuer. It's on you. You got to make it. You got to be good enough. You got to submit to these rules. You got to do whatever. And Paul, who was into that rules thing, says, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we're never going to give up. And then he goes on and talks about give up what? His talking about, his preaching about, his uh, travels and what he does. He says in verse 2, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. In other words, they had TV preachers in the first century, you know. Uh, we're, we're not into tricky stuff. We're not into, you know, conning people. Uh, because one of the things you read about in Corinth is there had been people coming in, razzle-dazzling the church in Corinth. Paul had started it. Paul had laid down his life for these people. And then all the showy guys come to town and everybody goes running after them. And he goes, we're not like that. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest actually know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Now, you know, if you've never heard the gospel, that's one thing. But if you've heard and you have rejected, that's another thing. And he says that Satan has actually blinded people's eyes. You know, we're, we're going through Alpha, and uh, Alpha is a course that we do around here uh, for people who either are not believers in Christ or have just become believers in Christ. And it just answers some of the most basic questions of life. And and uh, the guy who leads it, is, he's, he's, he's a Brit. He's a, um, 18 million people around the world have seen Alpha on DVD now. And um, I, I know the guy. He's just a real humble, down-to-earth guy. But he was an attorney who was, grew up, uh, is, you know, one day called himself an atheist, one day called himself an agnostic. And uh, um, he, he set out to disprove Christianity. And in the process, the veil was lifted from his eyes. He said that he was trying to rescue all of his friends who were Christians. And uh, he, is, he was... Uh, could tell you a story of a guy that was his roommate and he had warned his, his, his roommate about don't hang around with these people because they're bad. They're those Christians. And, and then his roommate announced that he became one. And uh, Nikki says that he began to decide that he needed to read up on all the religions of the world and all the, 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 the different philosophies about God so that he would be better equipped to, you know, undo people's Christianity. And so... He said that he had a Bible that was left over from some childhood days or something, and he decided to read the Bible uh, as, as, to get on his start to know what to do to dismember Christianity. And he said he sat down and, and one night, and, and he read the Gospel of Matthew, and then he read Luke, and, and then he fell asleep halfway through the, the, the Gospel of John. He got up the next day, and he read through the rest of the New Testament, and he goes, at the end of the day, he was really bummed out because he had decided that it had to be true. And he goes on and he says, it either is true, and if it's true, it's absolutely relevant to everything that we do. Or it's absolutely untrue, and it's a farce, and it's totally irrelevant. And then he goes on to point out, there's no way of saying that the gospel is partially relevant in anybody's life. It's either all or nothing. You know, uh, there's, there's a guy named C.S. Lewis who uh, was a friend of J.R. Tolkien. In fact, Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, brought Lewis 
to Christianity. Lewis was an atheist. And Lewis, in, I've read his autobiography, and talks about how he was uh, dragged kicking and screaming and, and clawing the ground into a belief in God. He didn't want to at all. But Lewis says that basically when you look at Jesus and, and, and you think about it, there's really only three options. Either he was a, a, a liar, a false prophet, who knew that he wasn't God, but led people to believe that he was a despicable man. Or he was a nutcase who believed he was God, but he wasn't. Or he was everything that he claimed to be. And, you know, when you, when you, when you think about that, there, there really is. I mean, it comes down to one of those three. You, you have to choose. What is Jesus? Is he liar? Is he Lord? Or is he lunatic? You know, he's, he's, he's one of the three. And then when you start to, to look, and, and I'm not going to go off into this, but when you start to look at the evidence, the, 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 the number of people who lost their lives simply because they said, I saw him alive after he died. The number of people that you read about in the Gospels who, who lost property because they had been healed and then they got pushed out of the synagogue and out of the financial network that they were in uh, and, and, and they wouldn't disavow the healing. And, you, you, and then you look at the Old Testament scriptures that were prophecies written hundreds of years before fulfilled in the life of this one man. It, it all really points toward that he was no liar and he was no idiot. And, and, and at that point, then the gospel message becomes totally relevant to every phase, every portion, every dark corner of your life and mine. Am I making sense when I say this? Well, it goes on and so he says, the good news that we preach is hidden behind a veil. If it is hidden, it is hidden from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God, the Son of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Um, this whole thing isn't about me. You know, I've, I've, I've been around the block before, and so have you, and we've all seen guys that in the, in the name of, of, of religion are really kind of promoting themselves. And, and it's all about their, their self and their deal and whatever. And, you know, there's always somebody that's got a, a new book out about the right, correct way to pray and get healed. And if you don't do it their way. And, and that kind of stuff is nonsense. Paul says, we're not into that. We're not into that. We're, all we're trying to do is put God up there so people would look at what God is and what he has to offer. And they would make some choices on, on their own. And that hopefully it would bring them to know the Lord. Uh, we're not into this for ourselves. Verse 6 talks about not being for his own glory. He says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul, in his testimony of his own conversion, he was on the road to Damascus to arrest a bunch of Christians, Damascus and Syria, from Jerusalem. <clears throat> and on the way, he saw this incredible vision from heaven. It was a blinding light. Actually, he was blind for three days. And so he, when he talks about seeing the glory of God, uh, we talk about the glory of God. And, and, and the way I see the glory of God is I see changed lives. You know, I'm looking across this room, and I could tell you story after story after story of people who used to be one way, 
and now they're another way. They used to be given to horrid anger, or they were caught up in alcoholism. Uh, they were caught up in this or that, and God did a miracle in their life. You know, we were uh, talking about this the other night in our, our mini church, and uh, there, there's a guy in, in, in our mini church who has been a very, 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 very violent man in his past. I, I was told a story about him uh, because of a drug deal that had gone uh, wrong, uh, breaking somebody's legs and smashing the shin bones to pieces. Uh, and then he found the Lord. And he is the, he's, he's a huge man. But he is the softest, sweetest teddy bear of a guy that you would ever meet in your life. And he had told us his story, or some of his story, the week before. Somebody else filled in some of the, the details. And, and yet, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there. That was two weeks ago in Mini Church that we heard his story. This week in Mini Church, we're talking, we're watching Alpha together. And uh, by the way, if you live in Eva and you're interested in a mini church or anywhere out that way, come see me afterwards because uh, that's where we're at. Anyway, he, uh, it, it, we, we've heard this incredible story. And then we're sitting there and then some people say, wouldn't it be neat to just see a really wonderful miracle that God did? Like, you know, God healed somebody or God did this or did, God, God did that. And the odd thing is the person who said that uh, at one point in their life, uh, was healed of a, of, a, of, a, of a disease that killed people. And the only answer is that there, were, there was prayer and there was healing. The doctors had nothing to do with this situation. And so it's like, well, you've experienced a miracle. What are you talking about? And you're the one that told me all the, filled in all the details about his life. You, you know, the, 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 the stuff that God does is all around. It's glorious. It's wonderful. And we just need to be there for, uh, for it. And so Paul writes and he says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we can know the glory of God that has seen the face of Jesus. And then he says, Now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. In other words, uh, we're easy to break, and there isn't a whole lot to us. It's really all about God. Uh, you know, like a, a clay jar might contain olive oil in the first century, or a clay jar might contain expensive wine. Uh, this clay jar contains something of the glory of God, and I may be weak, but he's not. He goes on and says, this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And then he describes his own life. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not given to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. You know, Paul describes that he was, he was shipwrecked a couple of times, that he was stoned several times, that he was beaten within an inch of his life on numerous occasions. Uh, this guy took a lot of heat everywhere he went for preaching the gospel. And he goes... The glory of God is wrapped up in this fragile body of mine. And he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm pushed and I'm pressed and I'm stretched and I'm strung out, but I don't give up. I keep in there. I hang in there. I'm doing the thing that God called me to do. And so he's kind of in, in, in this situation. You, you go, what, what is he doing? Is he bragging here? He's actually talking to the church that he started that kind of went astray. 
and they've been following some of the Polish speakers who are leading them further astray, and he's kind of having to defend himself and say, this is who I am, and I'm still who I was when I first came to you, and we got started. And so he goes on, and in verse 13 he says, we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. And all of this is for your benefit, and God's grace reaches more and more to people. There will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. Did you ever stop and think about this concept that we call evangelism? And why is it that, you know, other religions tend to not evangelize? They grow by having kids. But why is it that Christians are always going around talking to people about the Lord. You know, what, what is it that drives Paul here to go to gay bars and, and talk to guys that he knew in a former lifestyle and, 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 and share with them? And, and he's rabid about it. Not rabid in a, in a way. He's laughing while I'm talking. He's always, you know. Uh, you know, and, and, and he gets away with it. You know, I know Christians that are sort of on his crusade against gay people. Uh, Here's a guy who goes to the gay pride parade and talks to everybody about Jesus and everybody wants to listen to what he has to say. But why are Christians like this? What what makes us, uh, you know, be so evangelistic? Are are we trying to gain political power? Uh, Are are, are we trying to prove we're right? Are we trying to, 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 to be the biggest club on earth? You know, a third of the people on the planet worship Jesus Christ what, what's, what's the motive? Well, the only motive I got was I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be an architect. And I was on my way there. I, I designed a house when I was 15 years old, and they built the thing. I went to a weird high school where I had a first-year college architecture program in high school. And I had scholarships and the whole thing. And so I ended up going to a hokey little Bible college. And... It wasn't near as difficult to get through that thing as it was my high school. And it was just, you know, I was drafted. But almost immediately, I started seeing lives transformed. I just, just people who were, were just, their lives were really messed up. And suddenly, their life is filled with the joy of the Lord. And so, what keeps me going, you know, I'm 67 years old, just about. And lots of people, you know, people come up to me, so you've retired now because Carl's the lead pastor. No, I'm still doing it full time. And, 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 and I'm amped. I want to do more. But what, what drives me isn't fame or success or whatever. It's the fact that I see the glory of God revealed in human lives. There's a lady sitting in this room that got her life really messed up. And she was a good woman. She was an integral part of our community. And she's all bust up in a bar at 2 o'clock in the morning. Rob McWilliams goes down and peels her out of the bar. And she accepts the Lord. And she's a powerhouse in our church. She's never looked back. She's never changed. I, I see, you know, 
just I, I'm not going to do it, but I could just go story after story after story after story. The glory of God revealed in lives. And you know, the, the kind of miracles that we think of when we think of miracles, the healings that go on, the financial miracles, all that, that's just like icing on the cake. To me, the, 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 the guts of the whole thing is that God makes wrong things right in people's lives. Am I making sense when I say this? And, and, and so the whole idea is that God would receive more glory. I met a man today. Uh, Ron and Patience, your friend. Uh, his name is Mike Danner. And a uh, very howly name for a Hawaiian man. And uh, he, this guy uh, grew up in an Amish household. His parents were missionaries. His mom was from Hawaii. His dad was from the Midwest. His parents were missionaries to Native Americans in Alaska. And they were running, uh, the last thing he did in Alaska is he was running uh, a foster care program for Native American kids because there's so much alcoholism, so much problems that go on in that community. And uh, he moved to Hawaii. He owned a big business, uh, doing real well. He moved to Hawaii. The Lord kind of set him up with a, uh, with a thing that where he's able to not have to work a whole lot. And it, he's, he's covered. He owns three, four pieces, three pieces of real estate. And a few years ago, he said the Lord led him to go down here behind the library under the bridge and start to hang out with the homeless people and see if he could minister to them. And he said, you know, he said, if I had my way, I would get rid of all food stamps. Turns out that the guys get their food stamps and there's places that they can go, stores that are like legitimate businesses that will buy your food stamps for 50 cents on the dollar. And then you can go out and buy crystal meth with the food stamp money. Uh, I, I, he told us in great detail about this. He goes, he goes I, I have a freezer in my house, and I get guys, the few guys that he says, I don't have a whole lot of success with this. And he goes, the few success stories I have, I'll get them to take all their food stamps, and we go to Costco, and we, 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 we buy a whole bunch of meat because they grow vegetables where they live. He goes, we buy a whole bunch of meat, and I put it in my freezer. And he goes, that makes them stay around because they're not going to leave their investment in meat. But it also keeps them from turning the money, the food stamps, into to, to, to crystal meth. And, and, and he said, he goes, what people really need, he goes, there's all kinds of able-bodied, able-to-work people. He goes, one of the, the star athletes in the state of 13 years ago is, is living down there. He's physically well. He's capable. And, 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 he's, and he says, the thing, the program is ruining the people because they, 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 they don't want to better themselves. And he goes, mostly, he goes, the biggest issue that I face is that people who don't want to live by anyone else's rules. And so he said that he went, and he and another guy went down there, and he said, we picked up 800 plastic bags full of trash over six months as a way of working ourselves into this community and becoming friends with these people. And he goes, I can show you the receipts from buying the bags. I didn't have that much money. I was reusing the bags two and three times. I'd take them to the dump and dump them out, come back and fill them up. The man who owns the land where the encampment is was watching him do this, and they've become friends, and that guy is, is an ally, and uh, different other people are, 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 are pitching in. Somebody bought him a, a solar generator so he could run his power tools. He's, he's building little platform tents and this, with the city's blessing so people won't have to live in the mud and all this. But here was the kicker. This is the part that really got to me. I, 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 it, I mean, it, it rattled me, and it's still rattling me. I, I met this man this morning. 
He goes, I determined, he goes, I, I started deciding I'm not going to really ever really get to these people unless I go live among them. And so I would go down there and sleep three nights a week, pitch a tent. And he goes, but then I felt like I'm cheating. I, I go home and shower all the time. And, and so I, I, I have moved in with these people. And he goes, my wife comes down about three nights a week and stays. And, and, and I mean, this guy's property owner, has owned a business. Uh, he's, 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 he's well set. And, and, and he's just laying it all on the line. I mean, I just don't know how you handle it. This is Mother Teresa in Hawaii. Uh, and, and, and why would you do that? Well, for the glory of God. That's what he said. And so, well, what's the glory of God? God's love and life reflected in the lives and the hearts of human beings. Am I making sense with this? I am killing the clock like crazy. There's so much in this message that you're going to wish that you would have heard if I wouldn't have talked so long. But... <clears throat> In the Old Testament, Jeremiah talks about the Lord and, and, and being called by the Lord. In verse 4 of chapter 1 of Jeremiah, it says, The Lord gave me this message, quote, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. You know, I relate a lot to that verse because my mother, who was not a Christian at the time, for some reason that I don't know, uh, prayed while she was carrying me in her womb that God would use me and she was thinking about me being a preacher at the time. Weird. And she told me that when I was a little kid and I already had this sense that God wanted me to be a pastor. Uh, very, very young that happened to me and I hated the idea. And then my mother goes and tells me this, I hated it worse. Uh, but Jeremiah says that the Lord said, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. Verse 6, O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. And the Lord replied, Don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I've put your words in my mouth. Now that's that sounds really good, right? I, I mean, he has this encounter with God. Who knows how it happened? Maybe he had a dream. Maybe he had a vision. Maybe he did just... But the Lord says, I called you. I set you out. I got a plan for you. Do it. And, and Jeremiah says, yeah, I'll do it. Well, then you get to chapter 20, way down the road, way into Jeremiah's life. And Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because uh, wherever he went, people rejected his message and, and, he, and he was right. What he predicted came true. I've been reading Jeremiah this week in my Bible. I, I just happened to be reading there. And um, it, it, Jeremiah's role was to tell the people of the nation of Judah. Israel had had a civil war. Half was called Israel, half was called Judah. And the people that were called Israel, they already had been told by the prophet Isaiah, you're going to be carried off into captivity and dispersed among the nations unless you repent, turn back to God. And they didn't. And they were dispersed and they never did come back. The people we call Jews today are the people of Judah, right? And so they were told, you're going to be attacked by this guy Nebuchadnezzar by this place called Babylon at a time when Babylon was just a small city. 
And this great empire, Babylon, is going to come against you. You're going to be carried off into captivity there. After 70 years, you'll return. And this was Jeremiah's message. And Jeremiah, basically, his message was, when the king of Babylon comes, just give up because it's God trying to discipline you and, and, and get you to get together. And they hated him for that. And they, I mean, they tried to kill him. They put him in, in, a, in a well where he sunk up to his armpits in mud and left him stranded there. Terrible things happened to Jeremiah. And so the poor guy in chapter 20, in verse 7, he says this, Oh, Lord, you misled me. Did you ever pray like that? God, why in the world did I ever trust in you? And what a waste. Uh, I mean, we, I think we've all, if we're serious and honest, we've all come to a point where we go, where in the heck is God when you need him? And he says, Oh, Lord, you misled me, and I allowed myself to be misled. You're stronger than I am, and you overpowered me. And now I'm mocked every day. Everybody laughs at me when I speak. The words burst out. Violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me into a household joke. But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, God's word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. I have heard the many rumors about me. They call me the man who lives in terror. They threaten. If you say anything, we'll report it. Even my old friends are watching me, waiting for a fatal slip. He'll trap himself, they say, and we'll get our revenge. But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him, my persecutors will stumble. They can't defeat me. They'll fail and be thoroughly humiliated. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of heaven's armies, you test those who are righteous, and you examine the deepest thoughts and secrets. Let me see your vengeance against them. So Jeremiah now is he's a little human. The Lord says, love each, your enemies. Jeremiah goes, let me see vengeance, you know. Uh, he, he goes, let me see vengeance against them. I've committed my cause to you. And then he says, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. In other words, God, you trapped me. You got me in this stupid job I'm in. I, 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 sometimes I hate it, but there's something that's going on inside of me. I've seen the glory of the Lord in people's lives, and there's fire in my bones, and I can't contain it, and I've got to do what I've got to do. And so, Lord, come alongside me and help me, and, and, and help me to not be a person who ever gives up. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4, back to where we started. Paul says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying... Our spirits are being renewed every day. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that can't be seen. Where the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we can't see will last forever. You know, when I read those words, I, I think about when, when my wife and I and Aaron and Stephanie moved here. Uh, 29 years ago to start this church. Aaron had this incredible job at Honda. If I start talking about it, I'll take five more minutes off the clock, so I won't. He had a really, really, really cool situation going in California. I was pastoring a church that at that time was about the size of our church today, about 2,500 people. And we left it all behind, and we came over here. And uh, we had some financial backing from California, but when we came here, uh, people rejected us. We, we couldn't rent property. We tried. We, we actually thought we had a whole floor of the Poly Palms Plaza verbally. We had it for a year, but they would never get around to signing paper, and then they pulled the rug out from under us while our 
things that we owned were on the Matson ship on their way here. And there's no place to meet. So we ended up starting church on the beach. Uh, we went to a, a church, a local church, and asked if we could rent their building at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoons and try to start church there. And they were very nice to us, and they said, oh, yes. And then the day that we went to the airport to get on a plane to move here, there was a letter. We were waiting for a letter for them to officially say yes. And there was a letter, and the letter said, we don't want your kind of Christians in Hawaii. Stay in California. And then we go to the airport to get on the airplane. I mean, it was weird. It was really, really weird. And we, we had security in California. You know? I was well known. I was, it was the 19th largest church in L.A. County at the time. And, and, and we came over here, and our plan was to start a church. Our prayer was that it would grow to 500 in five years because there had never been a church in Windward, Oahu, a Protestant church of over 200 people in history. And so we, we, we prayed. It ended up within one year, we had 500 people at a luau that we did. And we, were, we were a church of about 400 people within a year, but there were no guarantees, none. The fallback plan was that we'd go out and start an automotive repair business to fund our families while we did the church. And, and we just, you know, and, but it was like we knew it was from God. It was a, it was a call. And, you know, you look back now and, and there's all these churches and, and we got this beautiful piece of property and several of our churches have got land and our churches are doing stuff in other countries and all, all that that goes on. But none of that existed. Every, everything was just, you know, a call from God. And so the question that I come to with you guys is, what, what is God calling you to do? And, and don't put this in preacher talk. Don't let this be... Oh, you know, because, I mean, for some of you, you need to. There, 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 there may be a call for you to be a pastor or for you to be a missionary. I look at my friend, Ross Yamauchi, sitting over here and, and, uh, and think what they're doing in West Tokyo and, and, and the life and the career that Ross could have had here in Hawaii. And, uh, and he left it over to, to go to Tokyo. And I, I've, I've watched this man scrape people off the sidewalk, basically. And, and, and they've got jobs and they've got marriages and they've got kids and they've got life, you know. And, and, you know, it's finding your way and finding where, where does God have you. Where, where does God have you as a contractor who's interacting with people all the time in your business? You know, where does God have you as an attorney? Where does God have you as a salesperson? What is your calling in terms of your neighbors and your relationship with your neighbors, and that we would stick to whatever our perception is, whatever God's call is in our life, and we would be people who are faithful to that and people who don't give up. Am I making sense? Well, I'm, I'm killing the clock, so I'm going to jump ahead, and uh, I, I'm gonna, I, gotta, I, I can't kill it too much. I've got to do some of this. Um, Paul, this is Paul. Um, you know, we're talking about not giving in. In Acts chapter 14, it, it tells this story. It says in verse 19 that uh, he, some Jews from Antioch and Iconium, where he had been and preached before, uh, won the crowds to their side. They were, they were against Paul. And they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. The next day he left with Barnabas for the place called Derby. He's in a town called Lystra. He's stoned to the point that they think they've killed him. It says the believers gathered around. I think what they gathered around and did was prayed for him. 
and 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 he was i mean going from they think we think we're, we think he's dead so it's safe to leave him laying here to he walks back into town that's quite a deal something happened and so he gets there but the scripture goes on it doesn't say we didn't read it but it goes on in the next few verses and says that then they went and they snuck back into all the cities that they'd been to like at night when it's dark and they encouraged the believers and they organized little churches and, and appointed people to be elders of the churches, uh, left for dead and not stopping, still going. Nothing's going to stop me from doing the thing that God has called me to do. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes and he tells people like us, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will be standing firm. After the battle, you'll be standing firm. Get ready, arm yourself, because life isn't always going to be easy. And at the end of the day, you want to be standing firm. And actually, that's not a real, real wonderful translation. If you And I went to the Shakespearean version of the Bible, the, the, the King James Version, and, and, uh, I, and I, I looked up this. It says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand... Stand, therefore. In other words, it doesn't say standing firm. Because standing firm looks like you're standing in great victory, you know. I stood with the Lord and everything turned out really well in my life. Well, it it didn't for Jeremiah, it didn't for Paul. Uh, Jeremiah was carried off, uh, kidnapped and carried off into Egypt by a bunch of people who were rejecting what his message was. Uh, Paul, we, we know that he ended up uh, dying for his faith in the Lord. And when he says that take the armor of God so that you can stand, it's actually a defensive position. It's not an offensive position. It's that at the end of the day, you'll, you'll still be there. You won't have been driven from your mark. You may not have you know, whipped the enemy, but you won't be driven from your mark. And sometimes I think that that's more real. You know, sometimes you... You, you, you know, I, I write books, and uh, one of the dangers of writing books, I, I was writing about this this week, is be careful when you read this book because I only tell the good stories. Uh, that's the danger in writing books because it was a book about making disciples and planting churches. Well, I only tell where the stories where it turned out really good. And so I went through some of the bad stories in there just so I wouldn't discourage people because if you're struggling and then somebody's talking about, oh, this is wonderful, uh, that's discouraging. And you, you, you want to be a little careful. And so, you know, sometimes you end up at, at the end of the day, you're standing, but you're, you're barely standing, but you are standing. Am I making sense? And so this, this whole idea of, of, I, I, I won't give up. I'm hanging on to the Lord and I'm hanging on to what God's called for me to do in my life. Uh, doesn't mean that every day is a, is, is a day just filled with joy. Uh, some days it's, it's a tough one. You know, I would imagine that you getting up here every Saturday night and leading worship after spending a couple nights in the hospital isn't exactly a picnic. But there's sometimes that you got to be saying, and we haven't talked about this, okay? But you got to be saying, Man, I've been through the mill this week. I'm just too tired to be up there with those people. I'm going to stay home and watch TV. But there's something that, that, that goes, oh, I'm getting up in the morning. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep standing. I have a letter that I want to read to you, and then we'll quit. And uh, 
this this is an email that came to our church this week. So this is like fresh. And uh, it's written to whom it may concern. The guy signed his name to it. And he said, last month, I submitted a prayer request about my marriage. My wife had told me she didn't know if she could ever love me again. And she told me she wanted a legal separation. My world was in shambles. I am still fairly new to Hope Chapel, but the pastor who spoke this past Sunday really got to me. That would have been Carl. One thing that really stood out was when he said that we should pray big. So that night, while kneeling at the end of my bed in my room, I prayed to God for a miracle. I prayed for him to somehow intervene and help me get my marriage back on track to where my wife could find that love for me again. At this point, my wife and I were surely headed for divorce, and that was not something I wanted, which brings me to today. Today, I received a text message from my wife. Now, I don't know if that means his wife was at work and she texted him, or if that means that she's in the other side of the world because we've got a lot of military families in our church. And he says, I received a text message from my wife stating that she is deeply sorry for the hurt she has caused over the past two months. She has also realized how this would drastically change mine, hers, and our kids' lives forever. She remembered the vows we took when we got married. Long story short, she said she wants to figure these things out together if I would still have her as a wife. I realize today the awesome power of God and the power of prayer. So I would like to thank you all for everything you're doing. See, what are we doing? We're trying to put the glory of God on display so people get hooked into it and, and something good happens in their life. He says, I'd like to thank you all for all you're doing. All of you are really putting good things out into the world and helping people open their eyes to all of God's glory. Thank you for everything that you do. Now, wouldn't it be nice, and maybe we will, six months from now or a year from now, to be able to show a video and, and, and go, here's these people, and they were you know, at odds, and now everything's all hunky-dory. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that he was challenged to pray for audaciously. And he prayed, and he got a text message from his wife saying, I'd like to put it back together. It's not back together yet. Position is, I'd like to put it back together. And he's going, thank God for this. And so, as we talk about never giving up, um, I think that it's, it's wise to talk about never giving up when you can't always see where it's going to go. And it's not all hunky-dory. And it's not all wonderful. It's not all perfect. And it doesn't have a red ribbon tied up on top of it. But that you just keep trusting the Lord day by day, putting one foot in front of the other, doing the thing that you know that God has called you to do because it burns like a fire in your bones. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the way that you have invaded our lives. Lord, just for the whatever it is that just feels so right and so real in terms of our relationship with you. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the, the miracles that we see. Uh, we've seen physical healings. 
We've seen financial miracles. We've seen businesses brought back from the brink. We've seen marriages healed. We see a lot. But Lord, to me, the greatest thing is that you transform people's lives. The people who have lost their way and become what they never wanted to be suddenly are back on track and they're the person that you intended them to be. Thank you for that. We see it as your glory. And Lord, we're dedicated to the glory of God. It's the only reason we get together. It's because of you. Lord, we just want to live our lives in ways that introduce other people to who you are and to what you can do for them. We want to see the glory of God spread in this world that we live in, in this very broken, hurting, sad world that we live in. We just recommit ourselves to never give in, to never give up. And I'd like you to keep your eyes closed for just a little bit longer. And um, I want to pray a little different kind of prayer. And I always end church by doing this. And um, it's a prayer that says, God, I'm, I'm feeling far away from you. And I don't want to feel like that. I want to be close to you. And so if that is a prayer that fits you, the only way you can get close to God is by praying. And so we're going to do what we just did. I'm going to pray out loud. And while I was praying out loud a few minutes ago, everybody was joining in the prayer, but silently. So I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. I'll pray out loud. You pray it, but you pray it silently. But I want you to declare yourself. If you're deciding that you're going to hook up with the Lord and and make him centerpiece in your life, then I want you to have told one person so it's easier for you to tell somebody else when you go home or next week or whatever. And so I want you to tell me if we're going to pray together. And so I'm, I'm going to count to three. And if you're going to join me in this prayer, I, w- I want you to just lift your hands. Everybody around, you've got their eyes closed, but I'm looking. And, I'm, and so I'll just know that we're doing business together. One, two, three. I see one person with their hand up. You can put it down. Okay, let's pray. God, I I just know that I need you in my life and uh, don't feel close to you and want to. Don't fully understand this business of Jesus being a savior or a rescuer, but do understand that I need to be rescued. And so I'm asking that you'd come to me and that you'd rescue me from my problems, from the habits that are in my life that are holding me down, from the junk. Lord, make my life into what it's supposed to be. I pray that you would become very close to me, that you would speak your thoughts into my mind and I'd know it was you. I pray that you would hook me up with some friends who know you well and that by being hooked up that that I'll get to know you better even through those people. Lord, bless me through this church. Let it become an avenue of your grace into my life. Thank you, God, for caring about me. Thank you for all the little events that brought me to sit in this chair where I'm sitting tonight. I know you had your hand in it. I thank you for all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you all. You've been really fun to talk to tonight. Oh.